0: Hey guys and welcome back to the podcast. So myself and Lee are joined by an awesome guest today. We're joined by Richard Godzeki, uh-huh. who is arguably one of the best ever natural bodybuilders to ever grace the stage. And I'm really excited for this interview because Richard definitely has some different thought processes when it comes to definitely training. I'm actually like not that clued up on rich's approach to nutrition and his background with how he diets for shows sure. so i'm definitely got a few questions up my sleeve for richard on that front but um first of all rich like i really appreciate you coming on and giving your time to us i know you're a busy guy um how has this this period have been for you in terms of coronavirus in the gym like for people of you that don't know you obviously own a gym how's the last sort of couple of months been
1: uh, first of all hi thanks for having me on um i've got a just straight away i've got a little five-year-old that's just crawled in on his hands and knees i've told him to stay outside He's got hey henry top top standard gosnecky behavior mm. you go make in the garden for us The a risk taker <laughs> uh, i don't know let mummy communicate it sorry <laughs> we didn't that's get right. into it um weird absolutely weird yeah because um, obviously i've got a, a normal job as well quite a normal job um working at jaguar land rover on prototype batteries so we haven't stopped. We've gone all the way through, which has been a godsend for me mentally. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I've still got the gym, so physically, I've been able to train. Yeah. Because um, I've been normal with the lads at work. We haven't really. There's social distancing and all that, but the job that we do, we have to be quite close to each other. And yet, the other side of my life, the gym and closing the gym and not letting people train and everything like that, has it's just—it's been a bit of a killer, really. I completely understand how we did it, why we did it. Um, And when we went into full lockdown, it was like, at first I thought, oh God, I'm I'm stopping people training, but you can only do what Boris lets you do at the end of the day. And it took me a while to get my head around that. And uh, I was dieting at the time. So I think it was like the 15th of March. So I was like, I think I was probably about eight weeks out from proper show condition. And I've been dieting since January the 1st. So I was getting somewhere near and I dieted for eight weeks into lockdown. I just lost all motivation. Yeah. Okay. So I've been through it, really. So half of life was normal. Half of it was just gone a bit crazy. And then I was dieting as well. And then miserable sort of at home. Just weird.
0: Yeah. So, so for everyone listening, have you stopped dieting now? As shows this year for you, just not, not, not going not gonna to happen? Uh,
1: so I've stopped dieting and did exactly what I didn't want to do. I um, parted about 10 kilos within two weeks and drank my way up to like 122 kilos and then drank just because it just when i finish shows it's just what i always do i've got no moderation i don't have a i don't have a middle ground i'm over off season crazy drinking going out and and food and everything or i'm dieting and it's strict and it's a restriction of everything so i don't really have a middle ground for anything so i did that yeah i just bounced back to big weight and then i I had to, I started going out with some of the people, like when you were, when the lockdown eased a bit, we were seeing people in the parks and it was like, take your top off a frisbee, And I was like, I'm really fat again. So I did like a mini two-week cut again after all that, really strange.
0: Now, fair enough. I think a lot of people have like lost sort of motivation and drive and, and been a bit confused in these times. I bet, you know, for yourself with business owner and a normal job as well, it's like very hectic. Um, but I think it's refreshing to hear like, someone of your standard of competitor equally has periods of time where, you know, you do lose sort of your mindset a little bit and you're not sort of this like robotic human being. Yeah. What people so,
1: think it, one thing I have had during this, which I am really fortunate for is, is my gym is the gym. I live five minutes from the workout. Well, five minute walk, like two minutes in the car. And um, so that's the one thing that hasn't changed and that never changes So whether I'm off-season or whether I've had a beer or uh, whether I'm off-season or dieting, the training is always six days a week. So it keeps me regular as well. It keeps my mind active. And I can't, unless I get that out of me in a day, I'm a different person. I can't, I have to go like six times a week anyway. So I could see where everyone was struggling. So I changed my workouts as well because I always just do squats, dumbbells, bench press, and I gave away all my weights and I gave away all the dumbbells and my benches and my bars. So I was on machines. Mm. But Everything has just been all like hammer strength or pulleys. So I had to change it there, but I had all that kit available to me. So I've kind of been the luckiest person like around here, but then also I'm about to change it up as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I've been in a similar boat. I, I mean, I've... I've I've probably trained more since the start of the lockdown than I have in two years prior to that for various reasons. And and having my own kit here that I can access and train off has probably been one of the things that's kept me quite sane through all of it. I'm still working, same as you, still working full-time and having the training and having something to focus on. I, I do feel for people that haven't been able to train over the last four months. It must have been horrendous for them.
1: Can you imagine getting a text or 10 texts or... Ten WhatsApps or twenty Instagram messages every day. Can I come and use the gym, mate? Oh, yeah, I
2: get them. Yeah.
1: But if you let one in, you let ten in, you let five in, and you think, well, I can't because if you've got it, and I give it to you, or you give it to your grandma. But you've got, I've got the power. I've got the gym keys here. And yeah. um, it was only me and a training partner that were using the the gym, and he's going. Like, yeah, I need that someone to bounce off in the gym as well. So yeah. I, I, it was just off off limits to everyone, but.
0: Yeah, it's very difficult to manage. Like, obviously, I have friends that own gyms as well, and it's just a difficult process because you got you got so many people that are like members, but also friends, and you've trained with them a few times, and yeah, yeah, it's just it's like you can't, you know, it's not one. rule. Especially when people are keeping their memberships going as well. Yeah, yeah it's been yeah. absolutely amazing. We have got some real loyal,
1: loyal members. Some of them which took kit, some of them which didn't take kit from us but um, they've kept it going. and It does go to show what these independent gyms are made of. you know, when people try and support and make sure we come back at the end of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. So if we could get a little bit into some of your training and, and nutrition side of things over, over your career, I think a lot of people do know your background and do know where you've competed and do know that you're a WMBF pro and you've won world championships. I think people know that side of you because you are a little bit more present on social media than some of the other guests we've had in the past. Um, so I want to delve into a little bit of your, your training side of things. So if you could just run us through, like what, what are some of your biggest principles when it comes to training? Like what, what do you truly believe in, in terms of what builds muscle? What's, what's holding on to muscle when you diet, what's some of your sort of biggest thoughts when it comes to, to, to your training?
1: So, yeah. Um, <laughs> It kind of changes over the years, but there's a couple of things that I've always kept with. When I was like early 20s, yeah, early 20s, I didn't compete till I was 26. Uh, I trained with a guy who was into his fitness, did a lot of running and stuff together, but everything, super set, drop set, 15 reps, drop it, 10 reps, drop it, 10 reps, drop it, 10 reps. You do like 40, 50 reps in a set sometimes. Before you know it, the weights are creeping up, so you're not just using, I don't know, 20 kilo um, pressing when you're doing chest press. Before you know it, you're on the 40s and you're doing like 20 reps, drop it. And you pick up the, the 35s and you're doing like another 20 reps. So high volume, and I always keep high volume in there. And then I tend to flip between that and powerlifting where i will go slightly lower reps, but didn't enjoy it. So I might do six months of powerlifting. I'd get an injury or do my backing or something. I think, I think it it builds strength, but it also builds a little bit of muscle. Probably not the muscle. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for powerlifting with the muscle thing. And also, you're just always on the edge of just about to to break an injury. Um, Yeah, I think um, high volume has been the one for me. And consistency, I know everyone always says that, but just staying in there six days a week. Um, Actually, off-season, probably five days a week, a little little extra rest day um, for the off-season, especially when you're pounding it that hard. Although I probably do do six days most of the time in the off-season as
0: well. Yeah, I'm not surprised.
1: But I'm so guilty of it. All the things that I know, I just I don't do.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, could, you, could you, when it comes to like high volume, so a lot of people struggle with the context of high volume and, and what it is. I know that you're quite like, you go off your intuition, you're quite auto-regulated in the gym. You'll go in, you'll sort of have a bit of a walk around and then, you'll go at it and you'll sort of do a little bit of what you feel on the day. I'm pretty sure I'm right with that.
1: I don't, I don't have a set, never have a set program um, what I'm going to
0: do. Um, could, you, could you walk us through like what an average like, a, across the board, like lower body and leg session, like leg session would look like? So for example, like walk us through what kind of, we did on in a way when we trained quads together like what does a typical
1: yeah so first of all i split i split my um hams and calf i split my hamstrings and quads mm. i'll have a a calf day on the back end of a shoulder session and i'll do hamstrings and calves on their own on a sunday um, and quads used to be fridays and it just used to take everything out of me and then a rest day saturday to eat and recover but now i do quads on a wednesday because it was driving me mad having to just wait till fridays Yeah, I changed that about three years ago because it was just stressing me out all week having to wait till the Friday for quads. But um, quads is all out, so it would look something like two warm-up sets, a trigger set, and then maybe like four exercises hard, where you're either going pyramid up the weights or um, just going all in on the same weight and doing like 15 reps, um, leg extensions, and then maybe a drop set to finish, and that would be your warm-up. So. You're looking at maybe over 100 reps working before you've even hit any other any other um, exercise, and then I'd look for either a squat or depends what, what gym I'm in. Mean, if I'm in the workout meal, I, I, my hack squat is fantastic. It's really old. Um, it's a Leisure Lines hack squat. It's quite vertical. Another one. Yeah, and it's just it's a killer. But I like doing 15s on that. So again, I'll probably do two warm sets, two plate, uh, one plate, two plates, three plates, 15 reps each and then we'll go for, once I'm up to four plates, we're working then. And then it'll be four sets of that and a drop set at the end of 15s. And we don't stop, so as soon as you, I know you like a little pause, I call it a little rest pause. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. yeah. yeah. that you didn't do last week. But so if I <laughs> stop my mind, my mate will wrap the weight for me and say, you're done. So, yeah, keep going. yeah. just power through um i like to hit four exercises for quads so once i've finished that i'll probably go into like a pendulum squat or um, a leverage squat or a a v squat something like that Mm -hmm. um i'm terribly i stay away from things like the abductor the adductor the glute machines i don't feel i don't feel anything from it. it hasn't been in my training for the whole time and i'm getting all these machines in the gym now for girls and and for guys because they're they're calling on these bits of kit, but I just can't put my time into something which isn't sort of like balls to the wall. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous, but everything's got to be hard for me as well. Loads of weight on my back, loads of weight on my legs. Yeah. Hasn't hasn't really hurt
2: your glute development and your sort of overall quad development, No, has it? Not specific glute exercise.
1: No. Well, squats are perfect, though, aren't they? And even back, I don't even I don't like front squats, so I tend to stay away from them. I can't get my hands under the bar. Yeah. Yeah, or or do it like that because it hurts my shoulders. So, um, yeah, just just back squatting has been fantastic for my leg growth. But, again, I don't think you get that. Because when you go too heavy, I always go into, like, a low bar squat. And although it's great, I think it's great for upping the weight and doing power lifting to keeping that center of gravity right. But I still like putting the bar high, hitting 15, 20 reps on 180 kilo, and and keeping it a high bar squat.
0: Yeah. With the the whole, like, lower body workout, like, for those that haven't seen it there's a session that me and rich did together and the main the main issue that i found like not that it was a problem but it was an issue if i was to continue those sessions in the future was that my work capacity just wasn't like where it needed to be for that session i mean i was at like peak body weight and my cardiovascular fitness was low so do you find that the people that have trained with you find a similar issue that your fitness is just incredible and that you're a lot fitter than most people when it comes to leg training. And what, why do you feel like fitness is, is, is a good thing when it comes to being able to thrash your lower body in a session?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I kind of I think it's a bit of a mix for me. I don't do a lot of cardio in the off season. I do more with my boy now and go out with him. Mm. But um, my fitness has always stayed quite good. And you only get one ticker. So if I, I find that if I'm looking after that during my session – and I was there to break you that day, and I'm only gonna do it my way. I'm not gonna do it with those stop reps and then you put on another plate Yeah. The way I'm gonna break you is, is you're not gonna keep up with me there. Yeah, so, yeah. and I'll do that to everyone. So if yeah. I can do that to someone sure. when I'm there and I'm doing it, I practice every day at doing it. So that's yeah. gonna be my thing. So if I can, your heart's shoveling everything to your muscles as you're going, isn't it? And I just think my heart's beating like fast and hard and if you can just keep that mind going on your muscles to do that as well, my legs will give up before my heart. So how, how strong has my heart got to be to be able to do that as well? Yeah. So the, the lactic acid that I'm generating during those sessions in my legs is incredible. Whether that's um, going to make me grow more muscle, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it. Maybe it won't, but I feel it's the right thing to do. And I know that if people aren't keeping up with me then and I'm, I've got bigger legs, then surely that's got to be the right way for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Do you have any other questions about leg training at all, um, Lee? Because I've got a few others about other body parts. So Do you have any about legs? Yeah,
1: just. The, you came in on leg training as well, and I don't even consider my legs to be that good. Maybe the training side of it, I'm pretty pretty.
2: Oh, good. But your leg training, your leg training's legendary, isn't it? Everybody knows that if they can keep up with you on a leg session, then they're pretty much an Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I'm going to ask if you mind me telling the listeners this, but obviously, Rich and I used to train at the same gym years ago before he owned the Workout Mill. And uh, do you still carry the oxygen tank around with you when you train legs? <laughs> that stopped a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. They they used to actually take hits from an oxygen mask in between legs on legs on the floor. There was no way. <laughs> yeah. you, Max, and Vit Bohack were training together, weren't you? Yeah. They used to strap oxygen masks onto each other when they were in a mess on the floor in between sets. That's how hard they trained. Yeah. Absolutely frightening. That's nothing.
1: Yeah, they were, they were great. A company called Oxyfit contacted me and um, I had that running a sponsor stuff, sponsorship. They gave me stuff for about three or four years and they, they were great. And it did, we were like, because one day they we were like, what about if you could get more oxygen in? And like that was failing us first. And they were like, get some oxygen. So then we got this stuff it probably got you another couple of reps out, but no more than what your mind was going to, you were going to give out your legs or your quads You're going to give out before your lungs anyway, so.
2: I I think the best thing it did, because I used to train my legs on a Friday night as well, back when, you know, I was training regularly then, but um, I used to train legs on a Friday night as much as I could and with my work shifts and stuff and, and one of the best things about that oxygen tank was it scared everybody off out the leg room, didn't it? <laughs> so it was you three in one corner, me in another corner, and we had the, we had the room to ourselves because nobody wanted to be in there to see those, those sights. It, it was really, really, really frightening. Yeah. For, for people who don't have the tolerance for really ridiculously hard training, it would have been a massive wake-up call. Um, I don't
1: know if you were there. You might have been there. We had a Friday night of In Future Fitness. When Future Fitness was at its peak, we had Alex Bardachal, Mark Oaks with Chris Lane, um, yeah. probably yourself. We had me, Vit, Max, Kurt Miller, Dave Mercer, which Dave's a bit of a joker, but he's hilarious. But he was the only one in the room that wasn't just take it seriously. It was like grunts and screams for such a small gym in Coventry. It was just like, it was electric. And Oaks, you all remember the day. It was like the killer day. Everyone was PBing all over the place and looking. Yeah. over. Like, Oh my God! Smashing weights on as quick and as, as loud as possible. It was like yeah. it was electric. It was amazing.
2: I remember Oaksie. I remember that night really well. Oxy picked literally picked me up off the floor after a drop set on the leg press, and uh, I was drenched in sweat and gasping for air. And he pulled amazing. he pulled me up out of the leg press seat and threw me into the corner so he could do his set. Yeah.
1: Don't forget those days. That's when um, that's when I'm a no one in about. 10 years time from 50 year old geezer and you'll see someone and there's like 10 people training and be like, I used to look like you. And they'll be like, fuck off old man. <laughs> yeah,
2: I trade on that story all the time when people poke fun at me for just being a fat waster these days, say, Hey, there was this one night in future fitness where we all had it going. Yeah. Still dialing out on it. That's, that's one of my war stories that is. Yeah. Brilliant. You need those in the, those in the
1: bag though. I remember it, Lee. it
2: was great. But that's, uh, that's one of the things that people don't get. I mean, you know, people will say, and and we'll come on to this a little bit later, but people, it's, yes, you, you've got genetics. You've got genetics for the sport. And, and yes, you, you're big, you're strong, you're fit. But people kind of, you know, people people could gloss over genetics. And, and I'm I'm one for it sometimes as well, that if you're not genetically gifted, you're never going to reach the very top of the sport. I truly believe that. But you've got to work as well. You've got to work. And, and and to anybody that hasn't seen it, I think there's still some stuff floating around on YouTube, isn't there, from way back. Look at Rich Train. You know, if you're ever wondering how Rich got as good as he got and still is, then watch <clears throat> train because I can guarantee that 99% of the people in the gyms, even most of the people that are actively competing are not training as hard as you. Um, it's, it's scary stuff to see.
1: i think I think on the point of genetics, though, I think genetics goes back to what you did as a kid. uh, My little boy now is five and he does maybe five or six different activities. I know it sounds silly, but he'll do swimming, martial arts, uh, rugby, Um, we'll go out and do tennis, he does football, he'll do everything. We started weightboarding now. All that's adding up, right? His recovery rate in the week. So he's recovering his food. He doesn't eat junk food, he eats normal food that normal five year olds eat. They're hard to feed. But whatever he's putting in is recovering from those sessions. When he picks a sport or wants to do a sport by eight, his recovery is going to be good. And yeah. my dad took me everywhere. We were doing all sports. We were going everywhere. Okay. I'm a brother as well. By the time we were like 10 years old, we were um, doing 11 sessions a week in the swimming pool. Okay. By the time I was 16, we got eight years behind us. We're training twice a day, most days. And just your recovery from that, you go to school, you do the normal thing that kids do, you play in the playground, you do sports in the playground, you come back, your body, your recovery rate. So your genetics, I think, is gonna be your body shape, whether you have nice, round, full muscles, or, or you're gonna have like straight, pindly legs or whatever they're gonna be. But your recovery rate for bodybuilding, so when I started bodybuilding at, say, 16, 18, when I quit, I quit swimming, um, going to once a day. My recovery rate's for your roof, mate. I've gone from once a day doing like four hours of swimming, and now I'm doing like an hour in the gym lifting weights. Okay, I'm going hard, but my body's gone like, Thanks for the rest. Yeah, I'll eat, I'll eat this food. And you start looking at your food then, and start looking at your macros, and you know, working out what you've got to eat. And by the way, my macros was whatever my mum made, and just like getting on an A four times a day. That's your genetics, and just feeding your, just feeding your gains, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and you you adapt over the years, don't you? People who've got a propensity to be good at a sport or have developed themselves to be good at a sport can often find they'll adapt well to another one. And it is that body; it's what you've grown into, it's what you've got used to. And you touch on your mum's cooking. I mean, you know, your mum's cooking isn't typical of other people's mum's cooking, is it? I mean, you know, you're notoriously a big eat meat eating family, aren't you? Eat meat, leave your veg. So you've always had loads of protein in your diet, loads of calories. Yeah. You know, I've, eat, I've eaten your mum's food on more than one occasion, and it's yeah, you always want to go back for more. You know.
1: Do you remember when we went down to do a, a guest spot um, in Taunton that time? Yeah. We all the way down to Taunton. Um, did a little guest spot dressed as uh, Conan. Uh, Conan. Conan, you came down with me and my dad and my brother. And then did that, got in the car and we were like, Oh, should we go and get somewhere to eat? And my dad got the camping stove out, cooked us steak sandwiches or steak baguettes and created beers for us.
2: Yeah, it was the end. Of, I remember it was the end of the contest and everybody was leaving. The building was empty and the car park was starting to empty. And then there was like three or four of us stood around your dad's. It was when he had the, the Discovery, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
2: When camping chairs around the back of your dad's Discovery, waiting for steak to cook, swigging beer. Yeah,
1: that's
2: how we rolled Incredible, good, good times, mate.
1: Four Polish men having a drink in some three.
2: <laughs> anyway, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going off with uh, off tangent
0: a bit. AJ, back to the training, fella. Sorry, mate. No, 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 no problems. These are all good. So the other questions that I had were obviously relevant to other body parts. Um, it is interesting, actually, the the topic that you bring up about recovery rates and how that's influenced throughout you know your childhood and and what you do in sports I think just to sort of add my opinion on that I think I definitely agree from what I've seen in in other people and other clients I've had that have had like either elite sporting backgrounds or in very cardiovascularly demanding backgrounds their recovery rates seem to be uh, certainly a lot higher than kids that have been sedentary and younger people nowadays seem to have you know unless they've had like like your little ones had an awesome upbringing And great direction they seem to be sedentary and and just you know as soon as they get into weight training they're handling only three four days a week and they're smashed um so yeah i totally agree on that point anyway so arm days is something i wanted to talk about because a lot of natural bodybuilders tend to be sort of beaten up by their arm development and you know knocked down for their arm development and also even other you know assistive bodybuilders nowadays on some splits tend to just tag the arms at the end of the session and, and as a result of that, sometimes don't maybe take their arms to where they could be. So what's, what's your views on arm days? Have you always had arm days throughout your entire career and yeah, how do you tend to approach day. arm
1: days? Arm days, easy day, it's a great day. It's one to enjoy, fantastic. It takes an hour yeah. and I'll do three exercises for buys, three exercises for tries, sometimes four for tries. And um, again, buys is probably slightly lower volume, 12 to 15s, whereas tricep usually goes up to 50s Okay. On, on a lot of sets. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not some of the, the compound, more compound stuff like close press, but anything really cabling is a lot of 50 repers, mm. 25 repers being in it. I suppose that's probably a lot more now and more so because I've got tendonitis just about every joint. Um, <laughs> yeah, but my elbows are suffering at the moment from bench pressing. Even if I lay off it now, they're still bad. But, yeah, I love an arm day. Who doesn't
0: like an arm day? What You're you wearing t-shirts at the weekend, man. Yeah. As as- I, I must admit, I, I do definitely like the arm days. I, I used to definitely think that I wouldn't like arm days, but I, I definitely do. And the, the, one of the first ones that I did was was a copy of one of yours. And uh, it was uh, definitely definitely painful with, with some of those high rep sets. And the, I, I, the one thing that I found is like, and I've talked about this on our podcast, is that, the feeling you get when you smash your arms and you like legit smash the, your, your buys and tries and you spend like 45 minutes or an hour on them, it's completely different to how they feel when you just yeah. do a few sets at the You've end. You've got nothing in
1: them. You've got nothing left in them. They're pretty. I've not really do triceps on the back of chest. There's hardly anything left in the tank anyway. It does yeah. do get a bit of a pump. By the way, if you do do that, get to 50 reps. Just get on a rope, pull down, 50 reps on the back end of chest and you think, if you're doing 12 reps, you don't get a pump. You do 50, you
0: get mm-hmm. pump every time. Okay. They swell up. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I think like the the, the volumisation of the arms is like they're, they're kind of a bit different. They need a little bit more, like sort of like filling with blood for you to be able yeah. to really feel like you've hit them. Do you think? Um, I mean,
2: do you think it's a little bit like the old theory behind calves in that you use them a lot? So, like the old, the old, the old, the old school sort of theory behind calves was they needed more reps and they needed more frequency because more You're walking all the time, and they were more resilient because, without sort of even thinking about it, to, to a very low level of resistance, you use your arms a lot, don't you? Yeah. So, is it that? Who knows?
1: No, know. you're talking to two guys without any calves, so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, AJ. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, it, right. it is. <laughs> but, um, sometimes when I do my high rep, 500 rep back sessions, I'll be thinking, oh, I hope my arms are recovered for Friday for, for biceps. And similar when I've came by um, tries on, on a Friday, I'm thinking, oh, I've got two days for these to recover now before I'm doing chest, International Chest Monday. And sometimes they aren't, but, you know, they've still got to be smashed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree on that point. Um, Okay, cool. So that covers arm days. I think what we've learned there is that they're a staple and people, more people should do them. Um, I wanted to cover back training as well because we've always looked like your back shots and been massively inspired by the density and thickness that you have. And as a result of that, that influenced a lot of my exercise selection when it came to training because I thought, well, If Rich can do this, then if I can try and chase some of these numbers down in some shape or form or get relatively close to some of these loadings, then I'm going to have some density on my back too. So that's the way that I kind of look at training is I look at how other people, what they do and and that really fuels my decision making. Whereas other people will look at research or books that, you know, put people in a research study and say that you, you have to do this for your back or whatever. So, for you, the main question with back training is like, what what do you think is the most fundamental thing when it comes to building a a, a dense looking back and a thick looking back? Do you think there's specific movements that do that, um, and do you think there's any prerequisites of of back training that is like an absolute must?
1: So there's so many ways of answering this, but um, I just wanted to start by saying I. Went in 2010 and was beaten by Johnny Yuris at the UIBBN or whatever that was called. UIBBN.
2: Well, I was going to talk
1: about him in a little um, while. Mark, uh, I stepped off stage and Mark Oak said to me, you know what you need, don't you? I said, what? Deadlift. So I managed to win a British title and get second in the world, so him, I'd never deadlifted. I'd never picked a weight off the floor. I just wow. didn't deadlift. Okay. Never had a bit back. My, my back is all up top if you look at it, and then people say, oh, your lower back's so good, but really my lower back is all just Christmas tree. There's not a lot of density there. So then the following year when we went out to the worlds, I did a full year of deadlifts and rack pulls, and Mark went, was like that, deadlifts, yeah. But it did change, it did change then. But again, it didn't. I hadn't done any powerlifting then, it didn't take over, the deadlifting didn't take over and it was just like walking in doing three, four reps. It was still like
2: high volume deadlift training. Oh hello, who's in that? There's, OT. There's, there you go. There's a bit of a virtual background change since we're talking about the eleven world.
1: 2011, yeah. Whee! There he is.
2: Holding the flag. Yeah. <laughs> on Amazing. the left. You were you became the first UK bodybuilder to ever win the WMBF Worlds on their debut. Amazing. The Pro Worlds.
1: Glad we went pro. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. it, so I started, started deadlifting then, but my back, my back days are focused, again, mainly around volume, 15, 20 reps, drop sets on everything. But I'll always hit three um, pull downs to start with, or three upper back movements, um, trying to go whip. Because for me, we're talking about thickness and stuff when you are facing the back, but I want you to see my back from the front. Yeah. so first and foremost i want my back being that big i'm filling as much of my six foot four arms even though i only six foot i need it to fill those arms so i want as much back from the front as possible and again that's going to make your waist look smaller it's going to do everything for your shape so i'll always hit three or four exercises Henry again. three or four exercises um, of upper back before i even start thinking about doing rows or bent over rows or anything like that
0: hmm okay cool and then with the deadlift, like how do, you, how do you tend to program the deadlift now? Have you, have you done a mixture of uh, so low rep, uh, high rep?
1: Since my mass powerlifting competition, I haven't really deadlifted. I can't deadlift now. My lower back's done. I had scans, MRIs. Uh, I've got four um, compressed discs. And it just doesn't allow me. Whenever I get up to – I started doing it again about a year ago. I probably posted on my, um, my Instagram and that. Feeling good, up to about 180. And then the following time I went in and got up to three plates, 140 and just, uh, you know, it's like, something's gone again. I'll just keep it out now. And okay. oh, I'd love, that when I was doing it, I got up to, my best was, I think, 320 for three reps. And the rage that you can get, like, there's nothing like it because it's just you and the bar. It's not like the squat or anything. It's just you lifting the bar and you will do anything to get that weight up. And I loved it. I fell in love with deadlifts more than bench press, more than anything. But there's only one way that ends for me. That's hospital, so yeah, I can't do it. Right. I have to stay away from it because as soon as it feels good, it's going to go bad. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And on the topic of injuries, do you think that the frequency that you trained at and the volume that you trained at was one of the reasons why you did pick up more injuries, like the the tendonitis, the the back the back issues? Like, do you, do you think that, that played a role? Do you think if you trained less frequently or with less volume, you would have got injured less or, or would you not? The way that I train, I
1: still consider my weights. If you're doing 15 reps on anything, your muscles are handling the weight. So if you're in control of those 15 reps and you're doing four sets of 15 reps and stuff, you're telling, you're telling yourself your body's in control of it, your muscles are. And okay, the weight's gone up over the years, but I never really had an injury, any injury at all. No shoulder injuries, no nothing. No pec tears, no quads, no bad knees. Probably until about after the world's, after 2011. So I've got a good 15 years in me of training before I've even felt anything injury-wise. And then I started messing about with powerlifting. So the weights come go up and the, the reps come down and things start happening. And I'm getting old in mid-30s and you're like, it's going to happen. Now I think the wear and tear on tender nights, my knees are good, even though I saw my PCL the other year. Um, from playing rugby on a day. Ridiculous. Um, my, knee, my knees are good. Um, my lower back, if I don't do don't do not deadlifts, I'm fine on my lower back. Just my elbows, the wearing tail on those, shoulders are good. It's just maybe the repetitions just throughout the years, you can't tell me that it's not just going to be like, they're going to go at some point, aren't they? Yeah. I don't ever have a rest. So it's just continuous pounding. But I know that still keeping the 15 reps in, 10 reps, 20 reps, whatever it is, if your muscles are in control of it, you're not going into your joint so much. And even though I'm failing on a lot of those reps on, say, chest press or something, you may need a spot. You're still completely in control of the weight. There's no, there's no rush movement or force movement.
0: Cool. Yeah, I think that just proves that the lower rep training and the <clears throat> the overloading that you did in powerlifting was probably the biggest thing that that was causing that the problems. Which, to be honest, I, I, I'd, I'd be inclined to massively agree with that. I think the bodybuilders get injured by doing those, those lower rep ranges because you've already built you know, a huge amount of strength from your high-volume training, and then that cost transferred into immense powerlifting numbers, and then you're going to get body's
1: hurt. weird as well. And powerlifters would always say, I don't understand your body. So I could put on, say, 180 kilos on the bar, and did 50 reps with 180-kilo deadlift in one go. And me and lewis lewis came down once and i saw i think david k did a 10 minute challenge yeah. and he said oh we've got a 10 minute challenge for the uh um uh 50 reps and he did it in sets of 10 or whatever it was i think it took about two and a half minutes and we just it just kept the bar in my hands and just did it consistently yeah you know but again i wasn't i wasn't getting good. injuries off that and then so, but then that wouldn't transfer so maybe i'd go 260 for 10 reps 280 for like nine reps or something, but then all of a sudden you think, Well, if you've got 280 for nine, how you go? You've got 400 deadlifts. Mm. And then I'd get 310 on the bar and be like, Couldn't get it past my knees, but yeah. I'm doing 280 for 10 or something.
2: Yeah, Just, I've got a weird body. You think it's uh, again, like sort of simple biology, fast twitch, slow twitch kind of stuff, because you came from a very endurancey, high rep background with the swimming. Um, do you think? Do you think again? Going back to what we said earlier, your body's been conditioned over the years in terms of your strength and your your muscle contractions. You're you're stronger over a higher rep range. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yes,
1: Makes I sense. Think a good high rep range. I think that's when I was. It's kind of classed as middle distance. So I was over like two hundred two hundred breaststroke swimmer. My fifty was terrible. My hundred was okay. But British champion two hundred breaststroke, British junior champion. And they used to make me do a 50-meter sprint before I did. So 10 minutes before, so I'd warm up, do really the up, and you sit around for maybe an hour before it's your go. And they go, like, 10 minutes before you get called, Rich, 50-meter sprint. And you used to have to sprint in the diving pit. So that I was already going in on my sort of second 50 when I was diving in for my 200. Get, get warm, get fired up. You seem to do the trick.
0: Yeah, for sure. Lee, have you got any other questions around uh, training at all?
2: No, I mean, you know, it's it's. I think we've pretty much established that a lot of volume, a lot of reps, and uh balls to the wall, and uh, do do everything you can and leave it in the gym is your way of life, Rich.
1: That sounds amazing.
2: Uh, it's it, well, yeah, it's worked, doesn't it? If you can keep doing that till we're fifty, I'll be a happy man. You see, you see how younger, younger looking that background picture, by the way, with my little pale. Yeah. You look good. just behind you. No beard or anything. Shredded. Unbelievable. Well, not quite, but yeah, lean enough. Lean you enough. look great there, mate. Maybe you was in a thirty-two-inch waist jean there. Um, you said you played around with powerlifting, Rich. I mean, to be fair, you, you you won a British title and didn't you break a record or two as well?
1: Yeah, a squat record.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> played around a <laughs> bit with it. Don't be modest. You didn't play around with it. You you came sore and conquered, didn't you? <clears>
1: yeah, six months ago. It's
2: a lot of training in six months. <laughs> but Training-wise, I think, I think we pretty much get the picture, don't we?
1: Everything high volume, 15 reps, drop sets. There you
2: go. Arm days. Arm day days. Perfect. Perfect. I did my first arm day ever last week because we've been talking about them so much. Right. Uh, and I've got a gammy shoulder at the minute. It's giving me some real grief. And I was supposed to do an upper session last Friday. And I couldn't push or pull anything. So I thought, I'm just going to go and train arms. And I've got to say, I've been sort of training on and off for nearly 30 years now, um, more off than on. And, and I wish I'd started training arms on their own earlier. It was great fun. You can't tell me that when you
1: came back in that house as well, Amy didn't see the T-shirt
2: pump and she was like, whoa. Oh, there, 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 there was, yeah. yeah, there was a big, there was a big T-shirt pump. T-shirt pumps remind me, Rich, do you still train in a vest on bank holidays? Always. Yeah. Well, you- sometimes no vest. <laughs> hey. Sometimes no vest. Because that, that was only that was a, that was a strict rule back in the day, wasn't it? You have to, you can only wear a vest on a bank holiday.
1: Only wear a vest on bank holidays. To be fair, it's vest most of the time now. Even leg days, vest in hot
0: pants. <laughs> right, should we <laughs> should we go training. on to should we <laughs> should we go on to some nutrition stuff? What is that image? That
1: is me in my bag um, and me sat down at the World 2011.
2: That was 2011 Worlds before you went on stage for the pre-judging in New York. And I was rifling through your bag looking for jelly babies. You were? You were getting me sweets, prepping me? I was getting sweets out of your bag, half of which I ate because it was so bloody early in the morning I hadn't had any breakfast. And if you notice there, I mean, I know it's not about me, but if you notice there, there's absolutely no belly overhang there as I'm leaning over. Whereas (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> whereas <laughs> I have because
1: I'm sat down and all I see is rolls of fat but I was absolutely nailed on threaded it's all about the
2: angles rich
1: yeah that's why I wouldn't have posted that on Instagram at the time whereas you'd be
0: all over it <laughs> <laughs> should we, oh, we move on, on shall nutrition do? topics then go on then I'm pretty good on nutrition alright alright he <laughs> says drinking <it> a beer <laughs> So, in terms of your approach to to dieting, uh, Rich, I want to know a little bit more as to as to how you would structure your your prep. So, when you started, obviously in the off season, like how long roughly would you would you give it for your first show? And ha- talk us through sort of the adjustments to your diet towards getting to the stage in in sort of like a rough explanation. What
1: first show What to a show? Dude.
0: To to any show, like your first, if you were gonna do multiple shows in a season, what would like the first show of the season, how long would you give back? Uh, and then beyond that obviously to worlds or whatever.
1: Okay. So you've got to look at about six months, you've got to give up about six months of your life. I don't do flexible dieting, I'm on or off.
0: Yeah, yeah. If yeah. I try and
1: if I'm doing it for a show, it's diet. If I'm doing it because I want to lose a bit of weight for a holiday or something, which who does that? Um you're going away to, to get fat anyway yeah then i I suppose there'll be a bit of flexible diet and a bit of cheats in the week and more high carbs but if i'm dieting for a show it will be say six months let's say 20 let's say 20 weeks minimum okay and no restriction for the first sort of month on carbs or anything carbs every meal um my meals generally stay to stay the same as the off season meat and protein wise and a good variation in my protein and then I'll just adjust the carbs. You know, like even back in the day when people started talking about macros, I was like, what are you talking about? Macros. Don't know what macros are. What's your macro makeup? I don't know. I'll just eat like chicken, fish, um, eggs, and then whey and cottage cheese or whatever it is, or yogurt, and then just alter my carbs at however I'm feeling. Sorry, Darren. Um, he's getting bored, he wants me to come chuck a round. Yeah, so um, yeah, and then, it, obviously, if you set, I, I keep my protein the same or similar, similar variation of protein, if you're not losing weight, it comes back to the old thing of you're eating too many carbs, or for me anyway, I know, I know it's got the same amount of calorie um, content as protein, but I like to keep my protein in to hold on to the muscle and to recover what I'm doing in the session. So right. I always kept that constant. I still do it now, I live by it, I swear by it. Protein will stay constant in six meals, I don't hold to that. I'll just drop my carbs or up my carbs. Or depending on my energy, or if I'm losing weight, or alter my um, cardio and my output. It's as simple as that. And then, uh, I still wouldn't even know until someone works it out and they tell me my macro ratios, And I'm like, oh, that sounds a little bit protein high. I don't change it because it works. It's, it's, it's kind of, I'm kind of stuck with it. Kind of Nutrition wise, I'm kind of in the dark ages. But it kind of that works.
0: works. Would you have a weekly a weekly cheat meal? Am I right in saying you had a weekly cheat meal when you- yeah.
1: So the first two years when I competed, um, I didn't have cheat meals. Oh my God, I was miserable. And Bex, like, I retired on my first one. Uh, the first British I did MPA, I retired. I said to Mark Oaks, I'm not doing it again. Because Becky was like, are you asking me? I actually retired, I said I'm retiring. He said, you can't, you have to carry on. So I had to find a way then after that, because. I need something to focus on every week. So yeah, so Saturdays now I do have a family meal, a cheap meal. It's one of the meals that I eat in the week, really, it's steak and potatoes, it's steak and chips, but I eat until I'm full. And when I say full, I mean full to the brim, steak, chips, garlic, bread, mushy peas, onion rings, I know it sounds weird. Gravy all over everything. I just love it, it's my favourite meal. And then smash a couple of puddings afterwards, which is just cheesecake, really. And I'll go until I'm, you know, popping, like almost feeling sick. The next day I'll wake up, I'll do hands and carbs on a Sunday morning. My God, I love that session. Hands and carbs sounds like a rubbish session. The best session full of carbs. And then by the end of the day, I'm low again. Not low, but like, you're hungry. Everything, it's just started kicking off again. Like you get to midweek, Wednesday, not even hungry anymore. Nothing's fine, nothing's popping. Okay, I've got some carbs in around my gym sessions, but you just kind of stale. And then I eat again Saturday night, Good session in the morning, maybe go for a walk in the afternoon as well, burn some more off, and then I'm hungry again for that last meal on the Sunday night. You're like, this is working.
0: Okay. And in terms of like nutritional adjustments during the diet, do you make them according to purely the way you look, or do you do you track your body weight throughout the whole prep as well? How do you I make adjustments?
1: And I only ever track I only ever weigh in on a Friday morning. First thing, I don't ever look during the week, ever. But this this last time that I was dieting though, my body weight didn't change for about five weeks, but I was physically getting leaner. So I didn't panic I didn't change anything because I realized there's probably not going to be a show. And it did me the world of good. Whereas usually I'd have gone, I've done crazy amounts of cardio before, walk in the morning, walk at night, walk at work, 10,000 steps, Plus i I'll go and do a little bike ride. Like literally doing stuff for, eight hours a day with your training session as well. And you're like, I didn't ever need to do any of that. And it's weird. I think Lee said to me once, you need to get a balance of where your body likes to let go of the fat, okay? You can't just go more is more is more calorie output because you might take away muscle, you might take away something, but eventually your body's just gonna go, I don't know what you want me to do. Like, what, what are you trying to do here? And, the, and people will say that. I've dropped my carbs, I've got my cardio and I've done this. I'm, I've got up a pound and you're like your body's so confused it doesn't know what it's doing mm. and so I really, really believe that and I relaxed into it this year and I know I was dropping fat and my body weight pretty much stayed the same yeah and do you it took 10 years to find out though
0: yeah for sure like when, when it comes to you said obviously your body was physically changing uh but your weight was staying the same over those five weeks do you um do you take like progress photos of like, every single pose in the same lighting each week or do you look in the mirror like how do you sort of gauge it every week
1: mirror and ask the misses, and just kind of do it myself just kind of feel it there's a couple of lads in the gym but i don't have a prep coach i don't really have anyone that looks at me bodybuilder wise there's a couple of lads in the gym that competed before and uh, when i look at people if i don't i don't prep people now properly but if someone's competing in the gym like they did last year i was like come down we'll have a look and I'm on it, yeah, if you're fat, I'll call you fat. If I think you need to eat less, I'll tell you you need to eat less. I'm really honest. And people started getting honest with me in the gym in like February, March time. And I was like, oh God, I'm being told I'm still fat. And then it sort of, it was coming in a bit and they were like, oh yeah, it's coming now, it's coming. So I still have a couple of people I listen to, but it's um, having that honest person that's gonna tell you you're still fat, some people just like to go, especially like everyone thinks they I know what I'm doing but you still more or less feel like a beginner and you still go back to eating the same diet. It's such a humbling sport. You don't go like that. Oh, I'm excellent. I'm going to rely on my my swing or I'm going to rely on something else. Like the sports can maybe. You still have to come back to putting the work in and doing it. And sometimes you need to be told you're six weeks out. You're actually 12 weeks out.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You don't see it yourself because you're like, oh yeah, my adults are looking big because everyone wants to be big, don't they? Especially the big guys. Yeah, my chest is still so full. It's still looking good, but really need to be told,
0: it's Because you have got a bit of fat on you, yeah, 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 for sure. Lee, have you got any other questions about nutrition that you want to ask? No, not really. Again, it's you know, keep it simple and put the
2: effort in. That's that's your ethos, isn't it, Rich? You know, I'd like that
1: you just round off with my simple bits at the end. I could have just said that, didn't
2: I? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I would have saved everybody an hour. Yeah, <laughs> we could have talked about your contest history instead. What? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean the the whole sort of. The whole sort of having a pair of eyes that you trust to have a look over your thing—it works both ways. Do you like the background change? By the way, this was Malaysia, uh, yeah, just after you won in two thousand and eleven backstage in New York. Have you still got the originals of these? Because I've got them on Facebook, but I would—I like, wouldn't mind some of them. Yeah, I've got the original. I've got the original list. I can send it to you later. I've got. Thank I've got... You. I think some of them are like, you know, some of them were taken with mobile phones and stuff, so they're not massively high res. That but was
1: by a uh, famous photographer that was. I can't remember we got there and he said, oh, so-and-so was taking photos backstage.
2: Alan then, Leff. It was Alan Leff, who was uh, a bit of a bit of a natural bodybuilding photography legend. Um, yeah, he, uh, he, he took that photo. He used to all the backstage stuff, didn't
0: he?
2: I had some with Martin Daniels as well. Yes, Martin, so, yeah. Martin came second to you that year, didn't he? Yeah. But yeah, with the whole having, a, having an eye cast over you kind of thing, it works both ways as well, doesn't it? And it goes back to what you were saying before about your body being confused and not wanting to let go of anymore. And, you know, you, you I think you're, because of your work ethic, you always want to push more and more and get more and more out of everything. You know, there were a couple of times when you were there, you were ready and you, you still thought you had more to go. And I, you know, I remember one time I was in my old house. It was Saturday morning. You called me up panicking a couple of weeks out from the world, saying, can you come to the gym and have a look at me? I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what I'm looking at in the mirror. And, and I went there. I was absolutely gobsmacked. You were ready to go, weren't you? Yeah. And sometimes you need to be told that because then we get into this situation. I've, I've raved about for a while and I know, I know it's a big sort of hot potato as far as my, my outlook is at the moment. You know, people who are ready, they, they can't get any more out of their body, but they keep pushing and they get, then they get worse. And that, that's also something that you need to avoid doing. It's nice to be told that you're not ready yet and that you've got to push harder. But at the same time, you know, having that talent for knowing that you're there now and if you push any harder, you're going to start going backwards is also a very important one. But bodybuilders are bodybuilders. If it says take one on the bottle, we take three. It,
1: yeah. AJ, you're going to do it this year when you're competing. If you're getting into contest shape, like you call it contest shape, you'll get to mine's five kilos. So at 105, I look good. Yeah. Yes. But my head says you ain't ready because I've still got bits to lose. I have to lose five kilos from that point to get in contest shape. I'm, my, yeah. I'm, my body weight for on stage is 100 kilos shredded.
2: I said that I said that to you before the worlds one year, didn't I? So if you get on if you get on the scales and you're in double figures, you know if you're ninety nine point nine, you're there. Yeah. And that was what you did in sixteen, wasn't it? I think that was about yeah. Where you, 26 I did,
1: Yeah. And it it me. I looked better in the gym and and everything. I lose my arms basically. My arms disappear. Whether you do an arm day or not, in the last the last six weeks, just why here my arms just go.
0: Mm, yeah thanks very much for that yeah I can totally relate to that
1: yeah say goodbye to
0: them <clears throat> it's, it, it's always the last place if you've got a stubborn
2: body part and it's the place where muscle doesn't want to be that's the first place it'll go from yeah you know same as the leanest part of your body when, when you're your top end body weight the leanest part of your body will get leaner first
1: yeah but it's, this is what this is what the whole thing of car- carving up so what I do for some shows, and I've done it ridiculous, I've got in ridiculous shape, ridiculous condition, and then gone, I'm carving up 3,000 grams of carbs in, like, like, a day. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Or a, a th- sorry, three 3,000 grams of carbs over three days, 1,000 grams of carbs a day. And then just look swollen and watery, and you're like, oh, I thought you were shredded. And you're like, I am. It's the carbs and water, but... I was trying to get back to that bit. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna get back to that bit within three days where you were shredded. So with the, with the 2016 Worlds, I looked good on the Monday. I just tried to eat what I was eating, maybe a little bit more carbs, a little bit more rice, a little bit more potato, but I'm talking like upping it at 100 grams, not a lot. And yeah, I was still a bit flat when I, came, when I, when I was shredded. And I looked good and my arms didn't really get a massive pump, but it was the best I've ever looked. I didn't look like Phil Heath and 3,000 grams of carbs wasn't going to do that to me either. Mm. But it's, um, it's just trusting yourself. If you look good in the gym, you like sometimes you go, this is how I want to look. I want to walk out looking like this. And then you do some crazy shit in the last three days and you're like, oh, I look better Monday. Or some people say I look better the day after when you've had loads of beer and stuff. But you actually don't. You look watery. Yeah. You don't.
2: Yeah, you just look watery. You're <clears> just <throat> big and bloated. I think the biggie the biggie for me is and i say this to people all the time and I'm <laughs> it's you that year it was 2013 before we went out to boston to compete for the first time um here we go that's the one i was looking for um i i remember you know you in the gym that week before and saying don't do anything else whatever you're doing now just cruise in you know don't change anything this you know no, no carb ups, no, no water, no nothing else, because you, you, you're there, you're ready now. And, and I think people can take that risk sometimes of looking 10% worse. Not that you did. You know, you, 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 you did have some problems with sort of overdoing it with the water, I think, that year, didn't you? And 18
1: litres. I was doing 18 litres a day for seven days.
2: It, it was crazy. And I think your body weight blew up quite a bit for 13, didn't it? uh because of that, but you know Hell, try me. people try and look one percent better but end up looking ten percent worse. Yeah. So instead of being ninety-nine percent, you're now eighty-nine percent because you were trying to be a hundred.
0: Well, that, that, that
2: that's, that's where that balance comes in, you know, people who've been dieting on low carbs for months and months and months, all of a sudden shoveling a load of carbs in, of course your body doesn't want it. You know, it's it's done it for months. It's not interested. Yeah, but do you remember the time as well? It was another another contest you did. It was uh, back in the UIBBN days when you were competing there internationally. Um, when you were when uh, when you were with the MPA as an amateur, do you remember that uh, trip down to the south of France by Eurostar? Yeah. When you had the big wheelie suitcase with twenty liters of water in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've done some trips with a lot of water. It's not just carrying it down there. It's in toilet stops as well. Yeah, and running for trains and things.
2: <laughs> yeah, really running cool for ladder. a train with twenty kilos of water in your suitcase when you're dying for a wee. Yeah. Water. And taking it all on the planes whenever you should go abroad as well. And the money, the money I've seen you spend as well in, in, in always in the W H Smiths or the boots in an airport, chucking all your money, your water away at security, and then paying those ridiculous prices. Because you're getting through 10 litres of water on the plane and you're coming on the plane with two carrier bags full of water.
1: Yeah.
2: Classic. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Don't you always pick seats on the plane right by the toilet just for that reason? Just a longer leg room, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Again,
0: another tangent. Hey, you
2: wanna, um, have you got anything else on nutrition? Oh, yeah, Joe.
0: Uh, no, no. To be honest, like the only thing I was going to ask was peaking, and you've pretty much covered that like quite naturally with the the storytelling there. So, I think I I really want to just cover training and nutrition as my sort of main topics here. So, Lee, is there anything that like any direction of conversation you wanted to to lead it in? Obviously, I've got some listener questions if if you haven't, but um, if you want to talk about anything, go ahead. I've got a few little, a few little questions. I want to fire out
2: at the end. You know, my sort of my 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 big three. Yeah, well, my, my little three questions. I answer at the end. But one of the um, one of the things that I think talking about would be useful for the listeners would be is that you you, Rich. Would it be fair to say you have a pretty full calendar? I mean, it's it's taken us two weeks to find time to get you on a podcast and you haven't even got the gym open at the minute. But in, in the average day, I think you you pack about 30 hours into every 24-hour day, don't you?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, you, you're training and they're never short workouts. You know, you're in the gym a couple of hours training. You've got a full-time job. You've got a gym to run. You've got food to prep. You know, you're a you strong family man with uh, Be- Becky and Henry. Um, you're very close to as well your parents, your brother, you have a lot of family stuff going on. They're all out in the garden now, keeping it quiet. How, how, how do you find the time and the, the sort of... How do, you, how do you balance it all? How, how do you balance such a really busy life with being so bloody good at what you do?
1: I love it. Just I go non-stop. So um, I learned in lockdown as well that I don't need six hours sleep. I can do everything on five hours sleep. So I'm pretty much at that point now. I've just learned to sleep a lot quicker than before. Yeah. To be so fair, I think quicker. I was fascinated, but um, I, do, I do tend to live on six hours. I still go to bed as early as possible, maybe 10, no later than half past 10, really. I, I can get up at four o'clock, five o'clock, whatever it is. I like an early start. I hate working the shifts that I work, the late shifts. And if I have to work nights, I don't like working nights. Although the lates and the nights give me so much more time to do stuff in the day and stuff with Henry and stuff at the gym. Um, but I will. So I'll, the, on that leg session, for example, I come up and see you. I'll have gone to work. I start work at six, or so I've got I'll prep my food at say quarter to five. Get to work, do a full day's work. I will come up to see you. Get back, go out on a bike ride with Henry as soon as I'm back, and then sit down. I'll prep food for the next day or whatever it is. I'll see the wife for a bit. It's like, and that was with a drive to Sheffield and back. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah even when, like, if I do a leg session like rounds here now. Oh, still, it doesn't. It doesn't finish there. Like I know somebody who was like, "Oh, I trained legs today so hard, so I can't do anything." I'm like, "Let's go out on the bike." So we're going for a rugby ball around. We it, it just we don't sit down. It's awesome, and we don't make excuses.
2: Uh, I think one of my favorite little stories about Rich. I don't, I don't think it's one that, that a lot of people know about. But one of my favorite stories about how much Rich crams into a day. It's fifteen. 2015? In the May time? In the what? I, I think it was 2015. Didn't you... um Well, I know you did. You, you, you were working You were working at Body Power on the USN stand, because obviously you, you you work with USN, who have been sponsoring you a long time. <laughs> you worked the Friday at the USN stand at Body Power. Yeah. Straight to the airport, jumped on a plane, flew overnight to Philadelphia competed in Philadelphia on the Saturday in that uh, IFPA show that you did. Yeah. Back on the plane, flew back to the UK overnight and did body power on the Sunday.
1: God, that was a hangover, that was. <laughs> I, messed, I messed up on that show as well because Lewis made me drink all the way on the plane. So, I didn't just drink water, I drank 18 litres of beer.
2: And so I, I'd over a little bit. <laughs> it was a good trip. 18 uh, litres of beer on the way to the contest.
1: Yeah, I've got my beer and water confused, on so I'm a water loading. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. I didn't do very well. That was my worst place in the show. I've never placed any worse than
2: second in any show of my life. And I, I swear I would lean for that show and then just ruined it on the plane. Well, but, to, I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, let's, you know, let's not sort of go down the road of excessively fed bashing, but the IFPA was notoriously a dieting contest, wasn't it? yeah you know, so a guy of your size was always going to go there and get beaten by some guy who weighed 150 pounds but had no skin
1: yeah
2: um, so I mean, maybe got, it was best a giant to... on
1: the pictures as well it was
2: like I, I've got a picture of it somewhere that I clipped and put in the archives years years ago and it was ridiculous it you know you look like a lion amongst sheep but it was clear that everybody was absolutely shredded and you were 18 pints deep but <laughs> but uh, but Great trip. You know, it's an adventure, isn't it? But who would think of doing that? Who would think about changing time zones a couple of times, doing, you know, a day's work either side of it in the UK and then, you know, doing a tour. What's Philly from, Philly from London's about eight and a half hours on a plane, isn't it? Something like that. Absolutely ridiculous. I had a few
1: hours sleep as well and then got straight back up and did the show. That was a really good trip. I took Lewis, again, I took Lewis with me on that trip. Probably regret it in
2: hindsight, but yeah, you can do a lot in a day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah especially if you change time zones
1: yeah
2: <laughs> so so it's again is it all about just you know gritting your teeth getting on with it and getting things done is that is that the overriding ethos okay. Thank you,
1: yeah yeah definitely you've just got to um yeah just i don't really say no to anything even when i'm um even when I'm at the gym and I've got something to do, if I've got to come back or, Henry or we plan it in, I just struggle to say no to people and no to things. And if something pops into my head that I'm, I'm going to do, like when we were during lockdown, I had a bit of a weird dream. I wasn't sleeping very well anyway. I was getting up at like half three, four o'clock and then just coming down. And I decided I was going to go and knock a wall out in the gym. Well, I got to the gym. I got to the gym and the wall that I wanted to knock out, I couldn't knock out. So I knocked a different one out. And by 12 o'clock, the wall was knocked out, a squat rack taken down, and the gym was in a mess. And then I was like, why have I done this? But then the, the gym got redone from it. And we completely revamped the bottom floor, changed all the cardio kit land, And again, it took me, the wall came down within about six hours and was sort of tidied up. But then it took me about another four weeks to sort the gym out. And I just wish I hadn't done it, but now it looks amazing. But just put myself in a situation where it took up so much time. And again, it's time that I would have spent at home. But I love it, and now that well, members have been returning kit that I lent out this week, and they're just like, it looks incredible. And I tend to find that whenever you put like a hundred percent into anything, you'll get hundred and ten back. So whatever it
2: is, you just just go in, all in. Don't even think about it. Just do it. Rip the wall out. There's something that could be learned from that. That's that 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 is a brilliant example to give people that uh, that want to get into anything. And we're not just talking bodybuilding. We're we're talking life, aren't we? You know, give it, yeah. gra- grab it by the horns, and get get on with it and uh, get it done. That's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, um, I'm gonna fire my uh, my my three sort of stock questions at you now, then Rich, and then uh, leave it with AJ. Um, first question: funniest thing you ever seen at a bodybuilding contest?
1: The funniest thing. One one thing that always stands out in my mind is. Is it Joe Lyons? Yeah, Joe Lyons turning gotcha. up with not a single bit of tan. By far, the
2: best junior physique. Yes. Just came with some old pants and no tan. I talked about him in one of my very first podcasts, but I didn't mention Joe's name. Um, but I talked about him in one of my very first podcasts where I said when they threw tan on him, he actually looked worse. <laughs> he, he was
1: white. He's so pale anyway, isn't he? He's, yeah. like, he's just paler than you, AJ. He was white as a ghost. on yeah.
2: Didn't you? You shared a, you shared a room with him, didn't you? In uh, France at one of the UIBBM world trips. Yeah, I woke him up at two o'clock in the now? morning
1: playing Queen. He was like, "What yeah. are you doing?" I was like, "I'm ready." <laughs> and then we got Steve Power up at like three o'clock, and the three of us were just playing. No one is it. No one lives forever. Who
2: wants to live forever? Who wants to
1: live forever? <laughs> to live forever?
2: Playing it again and again. And then um,
1: I was ready. You're all
2: getting up. Absolutely brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. So yeah, Joe coming on stage with his pants with no with underpants on and no tan on and blowing everybody away. Yeah. Um, what is your 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 Kodak moment? Your number one moment? Now you're not allowed to claim a contest win here because that's low hanging fruit. Everybody everybody's happy that they won a show. Sorry, what, Lee, just have to say that again. What was your one? So you're not allowed to claim a contest win. We're not allowing that other than contest wins what is your greatest moment in bodybuilding where if you could catch it put it in a bottle and taste it every now and again that's your one second in time
1: I'm not allowed to say a contest win because there's, no. there's only one moment in bodybuilding that there's been a couple of good ones Uh I've, I've got to do, it's all, it's all a case of proving yourself, isn't it? And there's always been a bit of a journey to prove yourself. And I kind of felt like I did it when I won the 2011 WMBF, And I felt like that was the cream of the top, the crop. And it's the only time I came on stage and the following day just burst into tears. Because it was like, that was all out. When I say that was all out, that was everything. And I gave it everything that year. Like risking the missing leaving, risking everything, friendships and it was all in and it worked and it's like the, the, the backdraft after that I was just like the emotion
2: was incredible not on the day it was afterwards so that is one of the best ones Awesome and we spoke about that as well the 2011 show were uh, on Nancy's podcast the other week because she was talking about your routine that year Yeah and how the judges couldn't make their minds up between you and Daniels and you blew everybody away with that routine I, I've done it 400 times before I got there Yeah I never got a video of it. You guest posed the same routine at uh, our UK show a couple of years later, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a Beyonce track, wasn't it, from
2: Dreamgirls? Um, yeah. yeah. There you go. And that was you. That was us backstage. That was that was the sort of condition you were in that year. It was uh, incredible shape. Yeah, it was great. That, I, that that is my that is the one that I'll take to my grave. Yeah, that was. I'll never. That have was it. awesome. Go on then. Last one from me then. What's your biggest gym fail ever? There's got to be one.
1: Um, no, but I can tell you, I don't fail in the gym. I can, you tell, you on, one I can tell you my, my biggest and funniest one that I've seen happen. Go on then. Max, with three plates on his chest, went to adjust the bar. I'm spotting him, and he brought it down, it wasn't quite sat right, so he, as he came back up, he threw it up fast, and then I'm stood back, so I'm thinking he's doing, like, ten reps or something. Threw it up fast, went to catch it, completely missed his hands. I've gone to grab it, it's just come down, and he's just gone... Ugh! Like that. And it, it, no cameras, no-one saw it, it was me and him in the gym. Threw it up, yeah. and then just came... I thought he broke a rib. I didn't know if to laugh or to, like, be called an ambulance or what. He so actually threw it up in the air? He went like that, he went... To, to try and catch it again. And he just missed both hands completely, so it just went smashed off his chest. I was like, ah! like it was me that was supposed to spot him.
2: Yeah, Well, it was you that was supposed
1: to spot him. I awesome. know, awesome. so, yeah, I
2: felt so bad. So that's your gym fail. I'll, I'll let you claim that one. All right, buddy. Well, uh, AJ, far away with some list of questions, buddy. Um, they're, they're brilliant, mate. We'll go,
0: on, we'll go on to the list of questions. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much most of the ones that were asked I covered within the training nutrition section. Um, but there is one that hangs that is still needs to be answered. And that is, obviously, you've had a very successful career in you know, the WNBF and coming through the UK FBA, But would you ever consider competing anywhere else? Have you got any plans to compete in other, other federations? Um, that's just I, bit- looked at, I
1: looked at doing the PCA last year. And then, obviously, with my close links to Ryan Terry through USN, I looked at doing a Ryan Terry classic, which I think is a 2 row show. Yeah. Sure. Um, I don't like diet in the back end of the year. I don't like it. I did it for 10 years. Mm. And when I have to start a diet in June, when I've just come out of winter, and then you go, right then, June, where are we, where are we drinking today? Dieting, mate. But your birthday's in August. Becky will say, we're going away for your birthday. Dieting. Don't, my life just switches off when I diet is focused, that's it. So the the best natty shows are usually towards the end of the year. So it kind of leaves me, especially if you're doing the world and Europeans and all that sort of stuff, and the international. So the shows for me are kind of front loaded because then you start in January when I'm usually too fat after, after the winter. And then you're like, I need to sort my life out. I've drank too much. I'm, so then by the time you come into February, March, you're walking outside in the morning, the lights, the, the mornings are getting lighter, the nights are getting lighter, and you're like, this cardio ain't so bad, you know? Before you know it, you're in shorts and t-shirt, all shredded, doing your cardio. The other way around, it's getting colder and colder. You've got 15 hoodies on, and you're like, oh, it's raining now, and you're doing cardio outside. So, yeah, I'd probably look at doing more of those shows, PCA, and, but I, I don't know if my competing's over or, or what. I've got a lot of commitments on. I definitely would have competed this year instead of that. Me, if
2: Corona hadn't hit, but we'll see in the future. So, if there was something big on earlier in the year, you'd consider competing in that.
1: <laughs> if you do this now, uh,
2: like, hmm, I'm just saying. You know, I've got, I've, you know, just I like ideas. I listen to my members, Rich. Oh God,
1: <laughs> I think about it. I think about it. The only thing is, as well. Is I'm pushing 40 now, and I kind of feel like the strength is good in the gym, but again, with little injuries and stuff, I don't know if I'd be as good as I was in 2016. I beat a lot of good people that year. Yeah. I don't know if I could beat them again. And I know Sam's a lot older than me, somewhat. The stress I was going through leading up to that show, it was killing me, even though I'm, I it on paper now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah i got him. For certain lines of the body, and waste, all that. But the guy is incredible. Do you know what I mean? And I look, I've always thought this about people that I've been up against. I'm like, I don't think I can beat them. When you sit back, you're like, okay, I can see where I won it or whatever. But it just, the stress that you're under doing that. And I don't think I could be as good as I was in 2016. Or maybe I wouldn't get as lean, or maybe I'd be more stressed, or maybe Bex do not want to live in this. So these are all things that you have to consider.
2: So. Oh, I mean yeah, after winning three world titles and three European titles you know there's not much else to win no yeah you know, there's not much else to do in my view there's no point in going and doing any of the other tested sort of world championships or whatever because you've won the most important one three yeah. times um, you know you've beaten some incredible athletes you've stood on stage with legends you know Brian Whitaker. You know, you, you stood in that overall with Brian Whitaker in 12. You you took Martin Daniels' heavyweight title off him. You went to America and you took the heavyweight title off an American who'd won it the year previous. Yeah. Yeah, That that's that's pedigree. You know, Siobhan Cunningham, you've beaten. You know, yeah. I mean... Some, so some, I don't know if
1: I'm, I'm go back and beat them. I don't know if I'm going back <laughs> and beat them. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe it's a risk I'm not willing to take. I don't know. I'd have to be in the right, the right mindset to be able to go and do it. But... I've thought about doing the open shows. I spoke quite openly about potentially doing stuff in untested and using something. But I don't see an end to that as well. I don't see how I do, one, I do the crossover, and two, what my career would be thought of before that, you know, everything I've done naturally. And then I don't want it to change again my home life. I've seen it wreck so many things in other people, and I'm a greedy bastard. If I'm on that stuff, what happens if I just go all in and kill myself because I just do everything? Do you know what I mean? Right now, I've got training, food, nutrition, and I'm greedy on all of it. Imagine if you get in that and you do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and before you know it, I look like the person that I didn't want to look like. We, we talked about it years ago, and we said yeah. about doing Nava, because I said, you said, what's your goal? And I said, I'd like to win the Mr. Universe. He said, because it's where said, If you want to win that, Rich, do it. You said, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. You're capable of it. He said, then you said, just remember, the, people, the reason why people first start doing steroids is to look like you. And I was like, yeah. And it kind of hit home. I was like, that is true. So what do I want to look like? Because I know it's not like a lot of them. Yeah. So it kind of leaves me in a bit of nowhere. Do I compete natural and not good? Do I go to that side and, and do something?
2: Because it's different. It's new. It's exciting but not really enjoy it. And how do I come back to Natty then? You, you've gone. You've gone. you do done I remember that conversation. It was 2012 in Atlantic City, wasn't it? After you won your second World Heavyweight title. And I said yeah. to you, yeah, I said, you know, if you ask me that same question now, i will tell you not to do it because the age is a big factor because, you know, the, the, the last, what well, what is it, eight years since that show? In the last eight years, that was your eight years to do it. But... Uh, to go over to that side now, when you're pushing forty years old, why? Why?
1: Well, this is the, this is the other thing. It's quite the question. Why? And why? I'm the same answers, but you all, you, I'm always looking for someone else to do. But the, my my thing now is is
2: Henry, and that's my other thing to do. So, oh, yeah. I've got it. It awesome. won't be, won't be long before he's following in your footsteps and doing something big in sport. And going to be a rugby player, I hope. If it, and if it's like, you know, if it's like the days when, I mean, your dad, I'll give your dad a special mention, Eddie Go, uh, Gozdecki, what a guy, what a dad, and, you know, I remember you said to me a long time ago, if you could be half the dad to Henry that your dad was to you, then you've got it right, but, you know, the guy was getting up at four o'clock in the morning to take you swimming, wasn't he? Every day, yeah, he did everything. Every day, day in, day out, taking you there and sitting up in the up in the gallery waiting for you to train and... Made you your first set of weights, didn't he? Because uh, he's an yeah. engineer. Made you your first set of weights. Even to little things like, you know, being there when we went down to that guest spot, barbecuing steak afterwards. Came out to Atlantic City, to the world. And, you know. I can
1: tell, I can tell you a quick story about my dad and a bit about what, genetics and a bit about why you want to make someone happy and make someone proud. And it starts when they're five. It starts when they're young. So when I was 50, we didn't have a lot of money back in the day. but dad had a good job, but mum worked in a shop. But, um, and they always strive to give us more, okay? And me and Mark were good at swimming, but we could never stay in the hotels and do the, the trips that everyone did. But I made the British final in, what was it? I think it's 99. or 16 years old anyway. Two years young, British juniors. And he took me up to Leeds at 4 o'clock in the morning because he had to get back for 6 o'clock to start work. Okay, so he t- took me up in a mini-metro because we couldn't afford the hotel. And then he worked a full shift, and then had to wait around for him to finish work. I won the British Championships, by the way. He finished work and then came to pick me up again in Leeds and then drove me back in his mini-metro. had to get on, son. I won. Sorry, I missed it. But I did make 30 quid today after I paid for my fuel. He he missed my final, but he needed to pay the bills for for everything else. And so, you know, and he was so pleased and proud of that. He might have missed it, but won it for him.
2: And... You know, if you want to give that sort of upbringing to your own son, then, yeah, that, that is your new thing, is it? He didn't it? ask any questions. He knew what he had to do. Yeah. He, and he always did the right thing.
1: Yeah. What a guy. An amazing. He in the world in America, though. That's the, the trip I paid for. I said, Dad, I'm taking you out and won that. So, yeah, that, one.
2: yeah that, was, that was a good trip as well. That was a very good trip. Beat Martin Daniels the second year in a row. Yeah. Strong lineup. Strong lineup. That was very good. Yeah, what a guy. So yeah, if you're looking to to to, to be the dad to Henry that Eddie was to you, then uh, then then that's that's enough, isn't it? That's
1: exactly yeah. A big thing. We'll have a go.
0: Awesome. So we um should we wrap things up? Yeah, man. Okay. Thank you very so much, you-
2: Richard. What did everybody think of about the uh, the backdrops by the way? I thought Pretty they were Hey, the light is better than ever. I've, I've got a bit of a green screen problem here because I'm going to cough it. I've put a, I've put a sheet over the headboard of my bed. Um, it's a Lewis Rossi headboard, so it's really comfortable. Uh, quick plug, anybody wants anything bed-related, Lewis Rossi, the bedroom centre, Barnsley. But um, <laughs> I'm leaning back on it, which is why we've got this little bit of haze around the side of my head. So I'm going to work on it for the next one. That's perfect. on
1: these things. We not get a pose off, no a little
0: pose down. You an AJ, man? Come on, AJ. No, I'm good. I'm good. I, I think can't, get, I some can't weird get my comments, arms up. I did an arm day Friday. We will get some weird comments like muscle worship on the YouTube section. So I think <laughs> all we'll, money, yeah. It's all money. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Rich, for, for uh, listening. Thank you, Rich, for your time. I know you're super busy, and we really appreciate it. And uh, and this podcast has been. Bloody awesome. So, yeah, mate. Thanks so
1: much. Thanks for having me. Awesome.